You're listening to the Earn That Body podcast, episode number 227. Welcome to the Earn That Body show with Kim Eagle. Kim is an award-winning personal trainer. She trains her clients all over the world online and is passionate about empowering people by getting fit and healthy. This is Kim Eagle, and it is always a pleasure to have you here to listen to another great episode. Now, before we get started today, just a couple things. Uh, Run Power is up and running now, and it has been fantastic with the current session who is trying it out. It is now available for other people to register as well. It is a five-week run program. You can be a power walker, you can be a beginner, and it's a great way to get five weeks worth of incredible workouts to get you in your best shape yet, including strength training videos, stretch videos, you name it, foam rolling videos, it has everything, audio runs, tempo runs, it's all there. So definitely check it out at runpowher.com, spelled R-U-N-P-O-W-H-E-R. And a lot of people are asking if there are going to be summer earn that body sessions. Absolutely. I actually take on quite a few clients in the summer because a lot of people realize that during the year, life is so crazy and hectic. And during the summer, you're potentially home a little bit more, which means you might have a little more control of your food. And that can make the five week earn that body program a little easier for you. So yes, um, May is pretty much sold out. Couple spots left, but I am I'm now registering for June if you need a nutrition and fitness program to help you with your weight loss. All right, what are we talking about today? We're going to be talking about heart rate training zones and polarized training. Now, whether you know what those are or don't have any idea what those are, it's very interesting ways of training that we're going to talk about. Like I said, even if you have no idea what I'm talking about, it might be a really good listen for you to see if this is something that you might want to try. Because I always say changing it up, shocking the system with new things can be a way to get the body to change. If you keep doing the same things over and over, you might be noticing that your body is never changing. So again, we're going to talk about heart rate training zones, polarized training, all of that after this. And now, it's time for the Eagle's Eye on Health. These are Kim's quick tips, latest health news, or piece of weekly inspiration. In today's Eagle Eye on Health, coming to you from Idea Fitness Journal, we are talking about what they call the gaming diet flop. Video game use may affect dietary choices. Well, it might not be you who's gaming, but perhaps it's your teenagers or a partner, someone like that. And this was very interesting, but certainly not surprising. It says that the explosive growth of the video game industry may be leading to less than stellar eating habits in young men. As indicated by Food Diaries, male college students who were moderate or heavy video game players, and they considered that at least one hour daily, ate more saturated fat, salt, and discretionary calories, the calories left over after nutrient needs were met, than those who did not play video games, according to data from the University of New Hampshire, presented as part of a Nutrition 2020 Live Online, a virtual conference that was hosted by the American Society for Nutrition. Now, game fans also consumed fewer fruits and vegetables. 
Since early adulthood lifestyle habits, including diet, tend to continue later in life, it is important to learn if gamers will end up as adults with lousy diets and a higher risk for obesity and certain diseases. Researchers also need to uncover whether video game advertisements play a role in these findings. So certainly good to note if you have a kiddo, a teenager, or like I said, a partner who's a big video game type person, you might also check to see what they are eating, making sure to maximize their nutrition so that they don't take on these potentially poor eating habits that could then continue into early adulthood. So something to think about, and I actually have a gamer in my house. (laughs) My son definitely has his days where he likes to game. Thankfully, he's also a runner, so I'm not too concerned about his diet since he does eat pretty well. But there you have it. Now let's talk about heart rate training zones. And then we're going to talk about polarized training because I actually do get both of these questions quite a bit. What what is heart rate training and what is polarized training and what are the different details that you might want to know? And most of my information today came from active.com and also Runner's World. They had some great information and feedback on these. Now, heart rate training it definitely can be a little bit confusing because there's a lot of terminology out there and different articles use different terms. Uh, There's a lot of different opinions about how to determine your threshold zone and what are the actual zones. There's a number of different charts that offer a variety of ranges and that definitely adds to the confusion because if you're looking for your heart rate zones, you know, according to this different type of training and you go online and you Google it, you're gonna find like 6,000 different charts and they're all a little bit different. So it can be a little bit of information overload for a beginner athlete and sometimes it just becomes too confusing and people don't even want to deal with it. So what I wanna do is define for you what are the five zones in general that they are talking about when they are talking about some form of athletic training. Now zone one is a very easy effort zone. This is like your most easy effort there is. It's probably like a three to four out of 10 on a rate of perceived exertion. They call that the RPE scale. It's so easy in this zone that they say you should feel a little guilty when you're done. It's kind of like you didn't work out, you didn't work out hard enough, um, you don't feel like there was any benefit because it was so easy. And if you have these type of thoughts after a workout, then very, very likely you were working out in zone one, and congratulations to you because it's kind of hard to do. (laughs) But that is zone one, and if you're looking at what heart rate that would be, it would be 55 to 65% of your maximum heart rate. How do we figure out our max heart rate? Well, there's lots of ways, but the easiest way, which is definitely a general one, and I can't say it's the most effective, but it sort of is, is just taking the number 220, subtract your age, And that would be your maximum heart rate, like I said, give or take a little bit. Um, So that zone one is 55 to 65% of that maximum heart rate. So zone two, that should still feel fairly easy. 
At least they say in the beginning of the workout. But you should feel as though you have to work if you've been at this zone for several hours. You may even see what's called cardiac drift towards the end of this workout. Now, what is cardiac drift? Cardiac drift is just your heart rate increasing over time in a workout. It is something that is always, almost always going to happen. If you have an hour workout and you were to work out at the same level and do the same thing the whole time and not change the intensity or anything, your heart rate will still gradually drift up because the body just continues to get warmer and warmer. So it is something that's good to note that at the end of a workout, even if you were trying to go really easy, your heart rate probably will climb a bit by the end simply because of what is called cardiac drift and that is completely normal. Now, how easy is easy if you're in zone two? They recommend somewhere around a five to six out of 10 on that rate of perceived exertion scale. You should be able to hold a conversation for the duration of the workout. And when they say conversation, they mean full sentences, not your sort of one or two word gasps that you're trying to get in with your friend during a run, right? That's what we call a conversation zone. So for all of my run power clients out there, we work on the endurance run on weekends. That tends to be what people call the long run, depending on the level that you're at. And a zone two is about where you would be for that endurance run. Now, a zone two could be anywhere between 65 to 75% of your maximum heart rate. And what most of us feel in that endurance run is it's so hard to run and keep the heart rate down. And so I keep telling my clients, we gotta run slower then. If you're running at a pace that feels what you call comfortable, but your heart rate is in a way higher zone than 75%, then you do need to slow it down if that is what the workout calls for. So that is a zone two conversational zone, 65 to 75% of your maximum heart rate. So zone three, it gets a little gray and they actually even some of people call it a gray zone. You typically aren't going easy enough in zone three to get the benefits of what would be considered an easy effort workout And you also aren't going hard enough to get the benefits of a more intense interval race pace workout. So they say that a zone three is about a seven out of 10 on the rate of perceived exertion scale. And you can talk in those one to two word gasps that I mentioned earlier that you you shouldn't be doing in zone two. In zone three, you can maybe get out a word or two. Now, some people also call this the no benefit zone. And so a client, Susan, had asked about this on the podcast, um, Ask Me Anything. She asked, what is the no benefit zone? Well, a lot of people consider it to be zone three, the gray zone or the no benefit zone. It's about an 80 to 85% of your maximum heart rate. Moving on to zone four. Now this is what they call a race pace zone. 
This is where you kind of get the burning in the legs, the burning in the lungs, and you can't keep that effort up for probably more than one hour. And yes, you have to be pretty fit to keep this effort up for even a full hour, but by definition, your threshold is an effort that you can manage for one full hour, and that would be approximately in this zone four. Now, you know you are in zone four when your breathing is definitely labored, your arms and your legs get very heavy, and all you want to do is stop. (laughs) And then you know you pretty much hit zone four. It's about an eight to nine on the RPE scale and about 85 to 88% of your maximum heart rate. Then we move into zone five. Zone five, and some people say there's a, you know, zone five and up, are for your shorter efforts. And these are usually a nine, maybe 10 effort on the RPE scale. These efforts might last from a few seconds to maybe five or six minutes. And this zone is beneficial if you are doing a lot of racing that has hard but very short efforts, like maybe bike racing or racing short events on the track in running. A zone five would be about a 90% heart rate max. Now for the average endurance athlete, the percentage of time that you should be spending in each zone is roughly as follows. You would wanna be in zone one, zone two, 80 to 85% of your work week, basically. So of all your workouts in your one week, zone one and zone two should make up about 80 to 85% of them. You would be in zone four, maybe 10 to 15%, and maybe zone five, two to five percent. What you'll notice is there was no zone three in there because, and we're gonna get to this in polarized training, so many people just don't consider that an effective zone to train in. Now the importance of that zone one and zone two training is so, so powerful. And I just think that the majority of people, including myself back in the day, before I did so much research on this, really just overlook zone one and zone two. But zone one and zone two training help you build endurance, build durability, and build strength. In addition to that, these easy training sessions help you build capillary pathways that transport oxygen to your muscles and carry waste, which is what we call that lactate feeling, the waste is lactate, away from your muscles. And the more capillary pathways that you can build, and the more, or I should say, the more that you can build, the more efficient you will be. And efficiency is what we're going for because efficiency is like getting free speed. So, so ideal for runners, swimmers, bikers, anything that you're trying to do and you want to be faster at. Now, if at first you cannot keep your heart rate under zone two, which right now so many of my run power clients are like, that's me, it's so hard, I hate it, I don't wanna do it. (laughs) If at first you cannot keep your heart rate under zone two, then guess what they tell you? That means you have to slow down. 
And I know you don't want to hear it, but that's why I'm doing this episode, because so many of us need to hear it, again, including myself. If that means that you run for three minutes and then have to walk for two minutes to keep your heart rate down, then by all means, that is what you should be doing if the workout is calling for zone two training. You might even feel that training in zone two and under is like a step back for you. But what you're not realizing is you're going to see progress over time and you will be so thankful that you were patient during this important phase. Adaptation for everyone is going to be different when you're training like this. And some people, they'll just see changes right away. It's, It's not fair, but some people will. And for others, it could take months to see the change. You just need to have faith in this philosophy and above all else, be patient. So for my runners out there, if you go out and do your long runs on Saturdays, that's pretty much what most runners do, sometimes Sundays, um, when you're doing a long run, it is an endurance run. It is supposed to be in a zone two pace because the goal of that workout is to increase aerobic capacity. And doing anything more than zone two leads to no benefit whatsoever. The research has shown that going too fast on the long runs is not benefiting the person, their speed, All it's doing is basically putting undue stress on the body and potentially leading to injury. So even though you don't want to do it, and even though it kills your ego to go slower than you know you can go, just remember the endurance long run is meant to be an aerobic training. So just like I want you to go hard in the interval work that you have no problem doing because that has a specificity goal towards it, You need to go slow on the long run or you're not going to get the benefit. Now then comes something called polarized training. A lot of people lately have been asking me, what is my opinion on polarized training? So let me talk to you a little bit. Now that you understand what the zones are, what polarized training is about. Now, as I keep saying, most runners run too hard, which basically is saying they're running too hard, too fast, too often. The majority of our miles at moderate and high intensity speeds barely ever hitting the low intensity paces that are so essential to building the aerobic base is what most people are doing. Most people are just doing those miles as hard as they can all the time and they're never getting in the low intensity paces for that aerobic base. Yes, I totally understand that running slow takes longer. And sometimes that sucks when you have to run 10 miles. I'm right there with you, right? And you may not feel as accomplished after a long run in a low intensity zone, but go too hard too often. And I am telling you, instead of seeing performance benefits, you are more likely to burn out, to get injured, and to miss the whole point of the workout, which is aerobic build. Now, two groups of recreational runners who were tested in a 2013 study published in the International Journal of Sports Physiology and Performance, 
One group spent 77% of their time doing low intensity workouts, 3% of their time doing moderate intensity workouts, and 20% doing high intensity workouts. And this is a method called polarized training. The other group in the research spent 46% of their time doing low intensity workouts. That was opposed to the other group that did 77% in the low intensity. The second group did 46% in their low intensity workouts, 35% doing moderate intensity workouts, and 19% doing high intensity workouts. Well, guess what? After 10 weeks, both groups did improve their 10K times, but the polarized training group who did more of their work in the low intensity zone improved by nearly double the amount of time, shaving about 41 seconds off the total time, which is actually a lot. And when endurance athletes followed high volume training, threshold training, high intensity interval training, or polarized training protocols, it was the last group, the polarized training protocol group, who showed the most improvements in VO2 max, time to exhaustion, and peak velocity and power, according to a study in the journal Frontiers in Physiology. Now, polarized training is proof that more isn't always better. And instead, balancing high-intensity efforts that will make you faster with low-intensity efforts that will allow for recovery and increased cardio and muscular strength that will take you so much further in the long run. Now, what exactly is the polarized training if you're still a little bit confused? Polarized training is all about scaling down or what they say completely ditching the moderate intensity running to focus on super easy days or super hard days. Now, polarized training can be defined on sort of a macro and micro scale. First, overall training is separated into low intensity and high intensity zones with very little training done in the middle. And second, the individual easy runs are very easy and the hard runs are very hard. Now, polarized training model blocks Basically, training intensity is into one of three zones, according to Dr. Greg Grosky. He is a PhD. He is an assistant professor and director of exercise physiology. Um, that's there at Georgia Southern University. And he says there's a low zone one, a moderate zone two, and a high zone three intensity. And there should be a heavy emphasis on zone one training that is below the lactate threshold, the intensity of exercise at which lactate begins to accumulate in the blood at that faster rate than it can be removed, and the physiological transition point between aerobic and anaerobic exercise. So that zone one, that's way before and under that lactate threshold. You know that feeling when the muscles start to sort of cramp up and you just feel like you can't keep going? That's when you've crossed over into that lactate threshold. Zone one, that is not there. It is not even close to there. A lesser amount of zone three training, which is above that lactate threshold, and very little zone two training 
at or very near lactate threshold. That's what they're saying. Now their zones are sort of a little bit different than the five primary zones that we just talked about. But just understand the primary goal that they're saying there's the easy days and there's the super hard days. So that minimal emphasis on zone two, which is your moderate intensity training, is key. The biggest problem with these moderate intensity efforts is that they do not allow us to truly train as hard as we probably could when the time comes. And that makes it harder to optimize your training adaptation. Most recreational athletes spend about 50% of their total training time at this moderate intensity. And not only does this leave the individual very fatigued, that they can't push as hard during those hard workouts, but it also greatly increases their susceptibility to injury. And if you are an athlete or someone who loves to work out, let me tell you how crappy an injury is because then you cannot work out. So you wanna think about that ahead of time. Like if you don't wanna get injured, you just have to start following some of these key concepts, especially for a runner. Now, the benefit of this high-low focus like this is that the low work helps you develop your aerobic system to a very high capacity, increases your mitochondrial volume, your capillary density, we talked about that earlier, and total volume, while still allowing for high-intensity work that stimulates training adaptations like improving that VO2 max by focusing on the heart's capacity to pump blood and oxygen and improving anaerobic metabolism to improve speed without burning you out. Now, that's like a lot of information. I get it. But let's break it down. How to maximize this easy, hard-run polarization that they're talking about. Committing to polarized training means leaving the moderate intensity zone, and they sometimes call it the comfort zone for most runners, behind you and really dying into the super high efforts and super low efforts. And you don't need complex and expensive laboratory equipment to determine where is that lactate threshold for you. They can be defined in some of those zones we were just talking about. As I sort of went through each zone, I told you what they feel like, right? And also using the heart rate monitors will help you in case the perception of effort can be a little bit different. So. If you're monitoring your heart rate, they say that you aim for a heart rate of well below 80% of your maximum heart rate on those easy days. Generally, they would like to see it around 70% of your maximum heart rate. That's a good rule of thumb. So for all my clients out there who are starting to look at their heart rates more, this particular article is saying, hey, 70 to 80% of your max heart rate is going to be the easy day, that's where you wanna be. If you're someone who gets too caught up in the data and prefers not to wear a heart rate monitor because maybe it just makes you crazy and you can't just focus on your workout then, then you have to go by your rate of perceived exertion. And on an easy day, you really wanna listen to your body and keep that effort at maybe a four or lower on that scale of one to 10. Now, I personally, I don't think RPE works great for runners because I've had so many running clients who say, 
well, that was my long run and I know my heart rate was super high, but I felt fine. And so their consideration of their perceived exertion is not what's showing up on their heart rate monitor when I see that their heart rate was as high as some of their interval work being done. So sometimes RPE is not ideal, but if you're a beginner and you can really be conscious about what you're feeling and you can say to yourself, okay, like I'm out of breath right now, that means you need to slow down. Now, how to use heart rate training to get faster? Well, low intensity training may be the most optimal intensity at which to adapt because it comes with the least stressful work. And you could get equal or even greater adaptation with those higher intensity work loads that you might wanna do, those intervals, those harder workouts, but that comes at the price of a lot of fatigue, physiological stress, sometimes hormonal disturbances, and even reduced activity of the sympathetic nervous system. Because when too much of your training is high, 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 high intensity all the time, it is just too demanding and it can lead to overtraining in as little as two to three weeks. And I think that's what don't some people just really don't understand. And it's not that they don't, it's not your fault that you'd understand. That's part of being educated. And some people go out and become runners, but they they just go out and they run because isn't that the point of running that you just, you know what to do and you can just put your shoes on and we know how to run, right? But the thing is, if you just go out and run hard every day, again, it is such a physical stress on the body and the fatigue, it just sort of, gains on itself day after day. And it's really interesting that they even talked about the hormonal disturbances that then take place from training at the high intensity all the time, all the time. I'm gonna do the spin class hard, then I'm gonna do the interval uh, run workout hard, and then I'm gonna go for a swim and I'm gonna go hard. And day after day after day, all that hard work is so much stress on the system, you get that cortisol release that then impacts all of your hormones in the body And if you're struggling to lose weight and you work out super hard all the time, you might've just figured out why. Because you're getting so many hormonal disturbances from that extra stress of working out too hard. So these are things I talk about all the time and I even did an entire podcast on overtraining where we talk about the specifics of what it's doing to your body and why it can make it hard to lose weight when you have these hormonal imbalances. Now, If approximately 80% of your running is done super easy, as in, you know, the polarized training studies, the other 20% has to be hard, like super hard. So 80% easy, 20% hard. Runners can maximize their high intensity efforts by running at or very near to their VO2 max pace. And that is about a 90% of your max heart rate. So at that really zone, top of zone four, you know, zone five level, or what they say, you know, it's probably gonna be on the RPE scale of about a nine to 10. Now, if the interval is really long, you'll work in the lower end, maybe uh, you know the lower end of that effort. And if the interval is really short, you might work at the higher end of that effort. So lower end being 90% of your maximum heart rate, higher end maybe being 95% of the maximum heart rate. So certainly the length of the interval could determine also how hard that you can hold something. 
During these high intensity efforts, it is recommended at aiming for interval efforts lasting somewhere between 30 seconds and 10 minutes. So like four sets of five minute hard efforts with two and a half minutes of rest in between is a great protocol that they have used um, for many training studies in exercise physiology. So what that would look like would be sort of a warm up run or jog, doing some dynamic drills and then running four by five minutes hard. So like a seven or eight out of 10 effort at least and then maybe jog or shuffle easy for two to two and a half minutes to recover between each interval. That was straight out of the article I read, which I just think is so funny because that is the exact workout that we do in Run Power in week three. And it was just a total coincidence that it lined up at the same week that I did the this podcast. So that is actually a really great workout that anybody can do and then you cool down as well. Now, the best way to optimize your hard sessions, though, is by making sure you're ready physically and mentally for the workout you're about to perform. And most recreational athletes will train somewhere between four to six times a week, and they target one or two of those workouts as a hard session on days when you know you'll be sufficiently rested and you'll have the most energy to really give it all you've got on those harder days. And by going easy on all those other days, you're basically allowing your body to fully recover so that when the real intense days come, your body is so ready with full energy. And so that really is what polarized training is. It's the really super easy days, 80% of the time, 20% pretty hard days and not really doing a lot in the middle. If you were to look at most runners, you'd probably see the majority of them training a lot in the middle, including myself at times in my life. And and that's part of the great thing of education and trying new things. So if you're a runner and you're not getting faster, then it's time to change something. Polarized training might work great for you. Or maybe you'll work with some kind of heart rate training zones. There are special zone trainings in itself where they will work throughout all five of the zones, not just high and low. The point of this podcast is really more to show you that there are all different ways to train. There's all different great kinds of research to show what seemed to work, what didn't seem to work. And then there's a simple reality. What works for one person isn't going to work for everyone. So don't worry all the time about what someone else is doing. If if something isn't working for you, if you're not getting faster, but you keep going to the same run group, if you're not losing weight and you're still going to the same program over and over, if something isn't working, then it's simply time to change it to something else. It doesn't mean what you were doing was bad. It doesn't mean what you were doing was wrong. It might just mean that your body already got accustomed to that and now it's time to shift it. That's why I'm always saying shock the system all the time with something new. That's why all my workouts, all the strength training videos I do, I try to change something. We either change frequency, duration, um, level of you know how heavy we're lifting, 
All these things have to shift all the time. Same with the run power program. Every week we're doing different runs. Why? Because I need to shock your system. I need you to get uncomfortable on the hard days and I need you to be very comfortable on the easy days, right? But definitely the point of these easy days is to give the body that time to recover, time to rest fully, and not to push yourself to these moderate to high levels so often that you're going to get such a stress on the body, again, that can create a hormonal imbalance, it can create such fatigue, and it can even create that mental fatigue to a point where you have trouble sleeping well at night because your body is sort of like just over it's overused when you get to a point where you've overtrained so much it actually starts impacting your sleep and it of course to me the biggest one ever especially if you're an athlete or you love to run or you love to exercise you don't want to get injured and doing more of your workouts during the week at high intensity levels is definitely the way to go if you want to get injured and i would say you know a very high majority of my clients that are injured were in that trap and were in that zone for so long where they thought they had to work out hard, 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 didn't give themselves the recovery days that they needed. And again, a recovery day doesn't have to be a day off. It just has to be a really, really easy workout. And and those are the people I see with the injuries, the nagging injuries that just won't go away. But once you start to value how good you feel when you don't overtrain, and you don't push the high limits every single day or even the moderate zone all 50% of the time or more, it's amazing how good you feel. And you realize, oh my God, I just spent years of my life beating myself down and I didn't have to. So things to think about, definitely great for runners to always think about these things. Yes, it's such a challenge to work out in that low heart rate zone, but you know what? I think I'd rather work out and and not be dying, (laughs) you know, from how hard a workout is. And so I try to psych myself up for my endurance runs where, again, I also struggle to keep my heart rate in the lower zones, but I've been really working on it for over a year now. And I've definitely seen my heart rate come down and my pace come up. Not by huge amounts by any means, but I definitely have seen it. And I know that I feel better. I don't feel so exhausted after the run. It doesn't ruin my whole day. Like, you know, there were days when I would go into long runs and that was it. I was shot for the whole day. And now that I do them in the lower heart rate zone that you're supposed to be at, like you just, you end up feeling better that day and the day after. And then I'm ready on Monday for one more intense run. So things to think about. And I appreciate that you are here today listening to the Earn That Body podcast because it is always here to bring you health, fitness, and nutrition information that you can put into play right away. For more information about Kim Eagle's online programs, go to earnthatbody.com or check out Earn That Body on all forms of social media, including Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, Pinterest, and YouTube.